My guest today is Phil Gafka. He's a leadership speaker, executive coach, and business consultant. Today, we tap into his experience with culture development. We talk about how do you get started defining your culture? How do you define cultural values? And why is this all so important? I'm glad you're here to learn from Phil. Welcome to the Courage of a Leader podcast. This is where you hear real-life stories of top leaders achieving extraordinary results, and you get practical advice and techniques you can immediately apply for your own success. This is where you will get inspired and take bold, courageous action. I'm so glad you can join us. I'm your host, Amy Riley. Now, are you ready to step into the full power of your leadership and achieve the results you care about most? Let's ignite the courage of a leader. Phil, I'm so glad that you're here with me today on the Courage of a Leader podcast. I know that one of your many talents And part of the work you do with your clients is helping them to enhance and develop their culture. Why is that a focus of your work? Why is that important? What are your clients getting out of that work? Well, Amy, first of all, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here spending some time with you. And, you know, it's the background I have is in the wholesale distribution side. Yeah. And you know, we just called on other businesses. And you start to see, why does business A always do well? And why does business B always struggle? Uh-huh. And you start to see, what are those foundational elements that are or are not in place? Yeah. And the most successful organizations I've seen are those that are really clear on two things where they're going, vision, and how they're going to get there, culture. And the ones that, you know, the the quote by one of the management gurus is, culture eats strategy for breakfast. I was A-ver. thinking of that as you were talking right. about, yeah, right. A versus right. B, yeah. Right. And it's so true. You can have the best plan. You can have the best vision. If you don't have a culture to support it, and I don't have very many guarantees, but I have this one. You'll never get there. Recently, I, I had a half-day workshop with a group of 50 attorneys. And they had all come from larger firms because they left toxic environments. Well, now, as they grew multiple cities, multiple attorneys, some of that toxicity was starting to leach into the organization. And they had never sat down as a group to really get serious about. So we took the morning and narrowed down what were the most important components to them of a successful culture. It's like, oh, yeah, this is great. We're in. I said, great. We have this big whiteboard going. I said, fine. Now come and sign your name up here that this is what you're going to do now. This is what you're going to live by. It's like, oh, I have to commit. Yes, each one of you needs to come up and sign this. Then we went around the room. And so, okay, based upon this discussion, starting right now, what are you going to do different? Mm. 
And we logged all of those comments and all of those observations that people made. Because it's not just talking about, you know, it's like you walk into organizations and you see, you know, well, they'll tell you, oh, we're a big family here. Really? Then why is there a revolving door? Why are you not getting targets? Because you're saying A and doing B. And my goal with clients is to get them talk and walk on a parallel line. Yes. Whatever that line is. Which requires translating the cultural values, what you say are the most successful components of your culture into mindsets you engage in, into behaviors that you engage in on a day-to-day basis. The importance of your question, what would you do differently? Yes. How is this going to show up day-to-day? Well, and there was a situation with one of the major partners who was not at the meeting, and I knew from other conversations that that was not a real good situation. Okay. And I followed up with the main partner a week and a half later. And, well, went around the room and said, okay, what are you going to do? He said, I know what I need to do without spelling it out. But I could see a few heads bobbing. And I called a week and a half later, and it wasn't a real fun conversation because the day before he had let that other partner go. But again, putting up, if this is the way you're going to do, you can't just talk it. Because one thing I, I try to impress upon clients is, you know, if you can find all of this, but culture is really what you tolerate or allow. Yes. So you can define it all and put the fancy words up on the wall and you can recite them and everybody knows them. But if, if it really boils down to what are you living? And that's the serious part of the organizations that do it. The level of engagement for that group of people goes way, way up. Yeah. I've worked with a number of clients over the years, um, and everybody needs to hire right now. I mean, it's, I'm sure you see it with your, everybody's looking for people. But it's not just people that have a skill, background. Do they fit your culture? Yeah. Do they align with your core values? Yeah. Very critical. Oh, this really showing up in a conversation I was having with a leader earlier today, like the tolerating and the allowing is going on, right? And she's she's nice, right? She doesn't want to be too harsh, but what is the impact on the group, right? On the work. So Phil, you told us, I love this, about having all of those attorneys in the room sign the most successful components of their culture and identify what they'll do differently. I'd like to ask you the opposite question. How do these conversations get started? Because I feel like so many leaders get overwhelmed about this. Yeah, I don't know that we're totally clear on our vision. Yeah, I'm not sure that we're totally clear on what makes our culture effective, what we want our culture to look and feel like. How do we get started? What's the beginning of that meeting look like? You already hit the nail on the head. They say, I'm not sure. I was brought into a firm, I was working with a couple of their people, and I, I kind of finagled an audience with the CEO. So let me ask you a question. I said, I've heard about you. 
that if you see a new employee, you see an intern, you go pull up a chair and you go talk with them. And then I've heard about your CFO and I know why you brought him in, but your CFO, his first words on Monday morning is, where's my report? So if I walk around, this is, I'm going to break a coaching rule. I'm going to ask you a two-part question. If I walk around and ask people, what's the culture around here? How many different answers am I going to get? And part two, how many answers should I get? <laughs> and he takes out his little notebook and starts making notes. You know, that's the thing about the culture. You should be, and your people should be very clear. Yeah. And when you take it down into an organization, uh-huh. you have to bring it down and have conversation with everybody at every level so they can get an understanding of what it means to them at their level so they can play along. You just give them the, well, here's what we've come up with, and it's numbers one through five, and that, that's fine. But if you don't explain how you got there, and what, and again, it's like you go to the dictionary, what we used to go to a dictionary, but you're going to see, you know, two, three, four, five definitions for a word. Yes. Well, we need one. And in a group of 50 people, we can't have 50 variations of a core value. We need one that we agree this is how we define this. Right. What do we mean when we say teamwork? Yes. Yeah. And I'm hearing you say conversations with everybody. Right. And, and, and in big organizations, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're getting 2,500 people to, to, in the same conversation or 50,000 or whatever it is, but you're bringing people together. What do you see? What does it mean to you? How does this translate to your day to day? Right. Okay. This is what we mean by teamwork. How do you demonstrate that in your interactions given your job responsibilities? Well, you know what? The same thing applies, Amy, to the vision. Mm, yep. If you want them to buy into that as well, if you want them to engage, you got to, again, bring it down to their level. I worked with a 500-person county government years ago. And in their so-called vision statement, which was too long because they had too many board members, and they ought to get those little birds. <laughs> but, you know, maximize resources. Which is fine for the executive director. That's money, that's people, that's buildings. Yep, yep. What about the lowest level person in the organization? And so we did. We had those conversations with those people, talked about their job and how it fits in. And then they understood that they could take process one, two, and three and combine those into one instead of three. Now they understand maximizing resources. They were resource. Well, we brought it down to their level. So they said, oh, okay, now I get it. Now I can play. Yes. You've already said so many great things, Phil. Let me tell the listeners a little bit more about you. Phil Gafka is a recognized leadership speaker, executive coach, and business consultant. Capitalizing on his experience as CEO of two successful companies and as a certified business coach, Phil focuses on executive coaching, leadership development, and strategic business planning and culture development, as we are talking about today. Phil has spoken to a wide range of organizations, ranging from Audi, uh, Jackson National Life Insurance, and the National Kitchen and Bath Association. 
His first book is entitled Hole-in-One Leadership, Nine Secrets to Mastering the Game of Leadership Greatness. That was published back in 2019. And he is now working on the next book. So the first book covers the front nine of the golf course, if you will. And now he's working on the back nine, transitioning to that next part of your leadership journey. Glad to have you here, Phil. You've already said so many great things about prioritizing our cultural values. So I think you're just alluding to it. You have 50 people with 50 different answers, right? And sometimes when we start to talk about what do we want our culture to look like, we want it to be this and that and this and that and this and that. How do you get leadership groups? How do you get employees and organizations to prioritize? You're basically surveying the room. What's important to you? Yeah. And we have fortunately a very large whiteboard. And we wrote down everything. We had 60-some, we'll call them core value. You know, that's great. I said, okay, you know. What's Everyone's the- heard. That's great. Yeah. But now you've got 60. Right. And I said, okay, now we're done. Just memorize these. And you're like, what do you do? <laughs> No, then the next part of the process is I just pick on people in the crowd. Say, okay, Amy, pick any two on the board. Mm. And let's decide between those two, which is the more important of the two. Okay. And some are very easy. And then we take the next person and say, okay, you pick two. Mm-hmm. Then we're crossing one off each time. Okay. And the first couple are real easy. Then we get into interesting discussions, mm-hmm. which is back to that point of now they start defining what they mean by those terms via this conversation of this core value versus this core value. Okay. Now, yeah, we're finding out what do they mean by teamwork? What do they mean by collaboration? Okay. Teamwork is actually speaking more to us. We're going to cross this one out. Yes. Okay. And then we just did this until we took it down to what turned out to be the elite eight. Because it's kind of that NCAA March Madness process. You keep bracketing (laughs) down till you get to your winners. Okay. Get to the finals. Yeah. (laughs) And all I'm doing is facilitating. It's their conversation. They're talking to one another. And then we vote. And majority rules. And eventually, you whittle this down to the most important things. Now, what's what's interesting is the things that we're crossing off don't go away. Yeah. It's just being replaced by something that's more important. Because you can't tell a new employee or an existing employee, here's our 67 core values. I mean, even with eight, um, we we had this exploration with a leadership development group uh, in a program I'm leading not too long ago. They have, um, they call them something different, but you know, they're their core organizational values. And they can come into conflict with, with yes. one another very easily. There could be quality versus teamwork or inclusiveness versus responsiveness. And okay, in different situations, where is it important to uh, weigh yes. one more than the other? Or how can you bring both together in the best way? It can get tricky. You know, you work with clients on that. The way you use that vision statement in your core values, these are your North Stars. When, when there is a situation, now we're going to use these yes. and refer back. Does this decision, does this action support 
or not. And it's like, oh. And that's really when you start to use these tools that you put in place. You know, companies that are entrepreneurial, it's like always, there's always another shiny object. Let's go chase this one. No. Does the shiny object support the vision of where this organization wants to go? Yes or no? Yes. If it does, then there's probably a good chance you should do it. If it doesn't, probably a good chance you should not be wasting your time on that shiny object. And the same thing for those four values. Do you violate yours or not? Yes or no? Some of these get really simple answers. May not com- maybe not comfortable answers, but pretty simple answers. Yeah, so I'm feeling like there is the getting really clear about what are our prioritized core cultural values. And then there's, okay, don't take that pretty package and put it on a shelf. How do we use it for guidance? How do we use it for decision-making? Are we talking about this in our team meetings and our one-on-one touch bases and how we're going to do work when we're improving processes Right, we're tying it to the values and the companies that do it well. It gets embedded in their language and in their processes. And it's not about accountability. Yeah, I mean it is, but that's only part of the process. You know, you calling me out and saying, "Hey, Phil, you know, I think you crossed the line here." That's you holding me accountable. The place you want to get to, ownership. Uh, Hold yourself accountable. What do you do when nobody's looking? Are you doing the right thing? Yeah. When you get to that place, it's a beautiful moment. It really is. Right. And knowing that you have this ownership and you're doing what you know to do throughout your days as any employee in that company to live the cultural values, and you had an exchange with someone else and you didn't feel like teamwork was present in that, calling that out, right? Like, I am not feeling teamwork right now. Right. How can we do this differently? How powerful. And, you know, those are the organizations that just always do better. It's not a perfect situation. There's no perfect. No. But it's, it's about that true commitment and being really honest and living what you said you were going to live. And there's no one, there's no one set of core values. Yeah. You know, oh, it's yeah. the one that works for that organization that they're going to commit to and they're going to own. I don't know if this is the best tie, but this is popping into my head right now, Phil. I have a business partner that that says, we don't like to say practice makes perfect. We like to say practice makes permanent, right? So we're not going to live the values perfectly. We've already talked about how sometimes there's tension between them and it's, and it's hard to uphold them all to a hundred percent or, you know, whatever that looks like, but instead you're engaging with it and you're talking about it and you're like, okay, I think we can achieve this. I don't know. Do we need to sacrifice a little bit here? Like, how can we possibly do this the best way that we can in this moment? Well, that that brings up a, a golf quote because I just oh, good. Yeah. tied golf and leadership together. <laughs> but I think it was Annika Sorenstein who said, we don't practice till we get it right. We practice till we can't get it wrong. Whoa. That's powerful, too. You know, and if you put that kind of effort in, 
you know, you're going to do pretty darn well. All right. I want to ask this question, Phil. So if a team leader, a mid-level manager is listening to this podcast episode and they're thinking, well, all right, I'm not in charge of like starting this whole cascading conversation in my organization. What can they do to influence the kind of culture that they that they and they know their team wants to have? Great question. I'll give you an example. I worked with an organization, 50 people. I interviewed everybody in the organization. Okay. And then they had their leadership team get together. We started working on their culture. During the process, I got all from two of their, you know, higher level people that they had been talking. They go, you know, we want to have this conversation with you. We don't think that the people at the very top are really buying in. And I said, so what? <laughs> I said, what are you doing? You can't control what those people are. But in your level, at your place, what are you doing? Don't shirk off that responsibility. Leaders go first. Love it. Now, I don't think that was the answer they were expecting. But that's when I work with clients, I talk in terms of multi-directional leadership. You know, in an orange shot, people that are underneath you, there is a certain style or level of leadership, but it's also different than what you do at a peer level. And it's also very different from what you do leading up the ladder. Uh-huh. But if you're a leader, that is your job. And you have to go first. It's like when a, a CEO, you know, you see the news item where the CEO is going to retire. And then in the same article, they will, these are the two or three people that are the heir apparent. How do you get on that list? I'm sure that those heir apparents aren't waiting for someone to tell them what to do. Ah, uh, yeah. They're using their influence. They're yes. They're doing it. And that's the point. If you want to, if you're going to assume that role of leader, then assume it, own it. What leadership is needed here? How can you, with your strengths and skills and approach and experience, put it in? So I'm hearing use use your influence, right? Well, learn how, learn how to use your influence. Mm-hmm. You know, the tough part is, you know, if you're going up the ladder, it's not real easy to tell, you know, you know, boss, you're doing this all wrong. Let me tell you how to do this better. Okay, it's probably not going to get a warm reception. Right. But I think as people learn the power of a really good provocative question, the kind of question that you kind of want to say it on your way out the door because you don't want an answer. You just want to plant the seed. You want the other person walking away going, I got to think about that. You want somebody to reframe their thinking. And the way you do that, I think, is asking a really good question. And if you've got a team, right, if if there are employees that are reporting directly to you, are you going to launch those conversations around, hey, these are organizational values or what do we want to be our department's values and how do we demonstrate those day to day and get engaged in creating the kind of culture that you know is going to allow you to get to your vision, right? What your your group needs to accomplish. Exactly, exactly. 
Oh, I love it. Phil, you have said so many great things today. Let me recap some of these so that listeners have got them. Foundational elements, where are we going? The vision. And then the how do we get there, which is the culture. And you want to have conversations with everybody about what are our most successful cultural components and get down to the level where everybody sees how it applies to their job, right? How do I have that line of sight? How do I impact the vision? And how do I demonstrate the cultural values every day? I circled this over here in my notes, Phil. It's like, what do you tolerate and allow? Like a great inquiry for every leader out there. Are we calling out? Are we doing something about those behaviors uh, that aren't aligned with the culture that we want? And you're, you're winning the culture game when people have ownership, right? They're really feeling that ownership. It's embedded in your processes, in your language day to day. And every leader out there, well, this, this, this challenge, this invitation, leaders go first. How can you use your influence? Ask the provocative questions, right? Translate those values into your day-to-day operations. Uh, any final words, Phil? So much great stuff you've shared with us already. I mentioned to you earlier in our other conversation, I've got a couple of speaking engagements coming up in the fall. And I found a good close. Okay. And the close is you ask the audience, what's the difference between a good general and a great general? Mm. And the good general says, charge. And the great general says, follow me. As leaders go first. (laughs) I'm going to charge. Come along. (laughs) Come along. Thank you so much for your time today, Phil. Appreciate you being on the podcast. Amy, thank you for the opportunity. Always enjoy the chat with you, young lady. Thank you very much. Yes, I feel the same. Thanks, Phil. Thank you for listening to the Courage of a Leader podcast. If you'd like to further explore this episode's topic, please reach out to me through the Courage of a Leader website at www.courageofaleader.com. I'd love to hear from you. Please take the time to leave a review on iTunes. That helps us expand our reach and get more people fully stepping into their leadership potential. Until next time, be bold and be brave because you've got the courage of a leader.